Well, good morning. Uh, if I have not met you before, my name is John. I'm the campus pastor here at the Center Church. Glad you blew in today. Um, I was waiting to tell that joke for a couple hours. Um, really glad you're here. Um, it's crazy out there. And so you were the tried and true. You made it. And while other people said, no, I can't make it. You were like, let's do this, family. Let's get in the Jeep. Let's go. Like, let's make it. And you're here. So I'm really, really grateful that you are. Um, again, I haven't gotten the chance, even though I've served here for almost two years, I haven't got the chance to meet every single one of you enough to know your quirks, your weirdness. Now, I know some of you pretty well. Some of you I don't know as well as I should. But uh, there's one thing that you may have gathered about me is that I love food. And beyond food, I love dessert. Like, how many of you are like, I pretty much eat the meal to get to dessert. Anybody like that? Okay, perfect. So I'm that way. I'm like, uh, the meal is great, Lindsay. What's for dessert? And she's like, I don't know. I should ask you. What's for dessert? Like, that's a common conversation in our home, maybe in your home. And uh, I remember as a kid growing up, and I think this started because uh, my dad's mom, who we called Nanny, she passed away last Christmas, but Nanny was known for making incredible apple pie. Like she was just so good at it. And every time we went there, it'd be like, who can get the first slice? And you take it out, it's warm, the, the steam is still coming off and the sugar is just like crystallized on the top. It was amazing. Uh, and that's all I've got. So let's leave service and go get pie. Like that, that would be good enough for me. Uh, but, but Nanny was such a good, just baker. Like she was so well versed in baking and didn't use recipes, like just knew what to do. And they were incredible. And so when our cousins would gather, we have over 20 cousins. And when our, that side of the family would gather together, it was always pie time. I was like, okay, we know that we can count on the meal maybe, eh, but the, the dessert's going to be amazing. Like for sure, we could count on Nanny having some pies. And so uh, she wouldn't just make one pie. Like there would be the one pie on the table and you knew like whoever gets first crack at that is in good standing, but she would have like seven or eight, or sometimes 10 apple pies stocked away in the freezer to send with our families back so that when we went home, we could keep enjoying Nanny's pies. Like I am getting very excited about this right now because I just remember the feeling, especially now that she's passed, it's such nostalgia around it. But I remember the kind of scramble when that first hot pie came out of the oven. See, when it came out of the oven, uh, as I said, I've got like 20 other cousins and most of them are, are males. And so as soon as that thing kind of lifted out, it was like a mad dash right to the kitchen table to get that first slice of pie. Now you can look at me and say, you're obviously not the biggest of what your, who your cousins are. And that's true but I'm the quickest, okay? Like I made it, I was the, the, the pie guy. Like I, I got there really, really quick because I knew that there wasn't enough to go around and I had that scarcity mentality. It's like fly, fight or flight. I've got to get to this piece of apple pie or else there won't be any left for me as a scrawny little redhead, a kid with glasses. Like I wasn't gonna get there in time. I, I think many of us, and you may be familiar with the idea Jim Collins in his book, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, made this whole topic popular. But he talks about the difference between a scarcity mindset and an abundance mindset. So scarcity mindset would be kind of how I operated with Nanny's Pie. Like there's not enough to go around and I've got to get there. I've got to push every other cousin out of the way because I got to get the piece of pie. Now, on the other hand, the abundance mindset would be there's more pie in the freezer. John, you're good. Like you can chill. There's more pie. If we run out of this one, Nanny can throw one and warm it up. Or even when you go home, your whole family gets their own pie, an abundance mindset. And so when you think about your life in terms of a pie, if you will, 
A, a, a person with a scarcity mindset views life as, man, I got to squeeze everything out because I don't know when I'm going to be gone. It's the whole idea, a couple years ago, it was made popular by the term YOLO. You only live once, which means live kind of however you want, like squeeze every ounce of happiness you can out of life. And while there's nothing wrong with that, there's a fatal flaw. In the scarcity mindset, it causes us to do things ultimately driven by fear, whereas an abundance mindset is crafted and, and driven by love. See, when you view your spiritual life that way, the scarcity mindset says, uh, God is holding out of me. I can't really give or be generous or sacrifice any hours in my week to him because if, if I do, what if I don't have enough for me? It's a scarcity mindset. An abundance mindset operates on the idea that, that God is generous and he's overflowing with life and he's got enough and he's got even more than enough for you. And, and he loves you as a father and he's created you in his image to know him intimately and deeply and that there's no lack with God. And we play out the scarcity mindset in our world all the time. I mean, you can look at uh, phone upgrades for one. It's like, you know people, or even if you don't know people, you are the person who there is just every time there's a new iPhone or a new Android or whatever your thing is, like whatever the device is, you're like, oh, my phone is so bad. Like, it's just so bad. Like, the battery sucks and I can't do anything on it. Like, what was once a great phone is now descended into this, like, demonic force in your hand. Like, just not, it's not good. Like, I need a new phone. And scarcity mindset would affirm it. It's like, no, you do need a new phone. You could die tomorrow. And you, at least you have the iPhone XS. Like, you need to do that. Like, the scarcity mindset are, are kids in sports, right? I wasn't good enough to get into one sport as a high schooler. But there's high schoolers now where it's common. Three, four, five sports and extracurricular activities. And our, our calendar just feels overwhelmed. And it really comes out of a fear that we're not going to get enough. My kid's got to be maximized. He's got to have the most opportunities or else he's going to be a failure. She's going to never amount to anything. And so we push people in that direction. Like I said, scarcity is ultimately driven by fear. And it creates worry in us and it cre creates anxiety in us. And some of us know what it's like to fear tomorrow. It's like, I don't want to wake up tomorrow because I, I don't know what life is going to be like. And we live out of a scarcity mentality. And we've been asking this question and simplify, how do we find more and less? If we do serve a God who can give us more than we need and cares about us deeply, who knows the most intrinsic, uh, urgent, urgent needs in our life, if that is true, how do you and I find more and less? And over the weeks, we've explored different passages, different stories. And, and, and the past couple weeks, we've talked about the idea that many of us have not simplified our lives because we haven't surrendered our lives. So there's things we're still gripping onto that are keeping us ultimately from radical obedience and radical surrender and a radical unchanged life. And I wanna look at one final passage today, just a couple verses in a letter that Paul, the apostle, church planner, missionary, uh, from being a terrorist, turned a missionary, and then he wrote a bunch of letters to churches that he was planting throughout his area throughout the region. And one of those is 2 Corinthians, that first and 2 Corinthians, a letter to this young church who had some serious problems. And one of them was not being able to simplify enough to be generous. And so I want to read, if you've got your scriptures, you'll see it in 2 Corinthians 9. I want to start in verse 10, just read a few of those verses as we continue. Here's what it says. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase 
your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, the Corinthian church is finding themselves in a Roman empire. And in the Roman empire, though, we kind of think of it, if you've been around church world long enough, you kind of think of the Romans as like the opposition and they were just bent on persecution and harassing Christians and torturing them and burning them on the stake. And while some of that is true, the Romans also valued some of the same things that the early Christians valued. And one of those is generosity. The Roman people valued generosity, but not in the way Paul is writing about. And I would dare to say our culture views generosity this way in the Roman way versus what Paul's writing about as well. See, for the Romans, generosity was about reciprocation. It was ultimately uh, strings attached generosity. And you probably have friends like this, right? You're like, I don't really wanna serve them because they're gonna ask me for something in the future or I'm gonna have to ask them. Like it's this weird cycle and so you don't do anything. And in the Roman world, generosity was a value but it was only a value up until the point that you could be generous back to me. Like it was that strings attached generosity. What Paul's writing about is something entirely different. Paul's idea for generosity comes from the good news, from the gospel that while you were a sinner and an enemy to God and in rebellion to him, he poured himself out for you. He laid his life down and he was incredibly and outrageously generous to us and gave his life up for us. That's the idea of generosity. So think about it, as Paul's writing to these different churches, Macedonia, Corinth, he, he goes throughout different letters and writes to them, but the topic of generosity and the good news coming from that place comes up in almost every letter. It's just again and again. But two specific groups of people did generosity really well. And the first one is Macedonia. Now, if you've read through 2 Corinthians, you may remember 2 Corinthians 8, where Paul is applauding this very poor group of people in Macedonia, did not come from means. And yet out of their extreme poverty, rich generosity welled up. They kind of lived the life. They simplified the gospel down enough to know here's the most important thing, and it's to be generous. And Paul was on a mission right here in 2 Corinthians of raising money. He's writing letters to churches saying, hey, there's a group of Christians in Jerusalem who are in need. There's a famine. They need food. They need some practical things, and we can help them. And it takes your generosity. And so Macedonia, this small, young church, very dirt poor, decided we're going to give. And they gave outrageously. And so Paul expected that the Corinthians, who came from a wealthy society, I mean, Corinth was an epicenter, trade, agriculture. I mean, they had it together. Like they had 401ks. Macedonia did not, okay? Like they had a plan for the future and they were living it well. And yet they wrestled with being generous. They didn't really have it figured out like Macedonia had it figured out. And so when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he's trying to kind of push them and urge them and challenge them saying, this is the kind of life you will have if you will be generous. Now, I want to take a look at our own lives for one second. Now, we don't 
take like silent pauses in, in a lot of sermons, but I actually wanna do this. And I wanna throw up a scale for you. I just call it the generosity scale. And if you had to rate yourself, so Corinthians would be kind of lacking in generosity. They wrestle with this. They'd be closer to a one or a two. And the Macedonians would be closer to a 10, like an eight, nine, 10. Like they were growing in generosity every day. And again, you kind of guessed it already, but God's desire for you is to grow in generosity every day, to find more and less by giving it away, whether that's possessions or money or your time. And so the goal is to grow in generosity every day. And so what I want to do for the next 15 seconds is if you've got notes or a phone or something to jot stuff down with, I want you to look at that scale and take a 15-second honest inventory of your life and ask, what number am I? Now, don't put yourself as a one. That's like Satan, okay? You're better than Satan, okay? Like, <laughs> I'm going to give you a two or three here. So let's work from that end. And don't say 10 because that's more Jesus. Like, you're probably not fully a 10. If you are, if you say you're a 10, you maybe need a lesson of humility. And we can teach on that later. But... Uh, so don't give yourself a one or a 10, but just as a reference for 15 seconds, give yourself a number and identify where am I at right now so you can know where you wanna go. So take 15 and look at that right now. Look at your scale. All right, hopefully you found some kind of number. The Holy Spirit was like, you are a two. Like it could have been that, I don't, I don't know. But as you think about that, again, God's goal for us, and the whole point of this entire series is that you would be able to simplify to find more and less so that you can be generous, so that you can experience what Paul is talking about. And, and as you look at that number, it may be discouraging to you or maybe really encouraging to you. Maybe you can look back over the years and see, man, I, I've kind of grown. Maybe it was a two and now I'm a four. Maybe I was a, a seven and I'm, I'm creeping up to an eight. Or maybe you've taken steps backward. Wherever you are, read again with me, if you will, if you have it there, look at what Paul says in verse 11. He says that you will be enriched in every way. He's talking about spiritual riches, not just financial blessing or prosperity, but spiritual riches. You'll be enriched in every way so that, so it leads to something, enriched in every way so that you can be what? Generous on every occasion. Just pause there before we keep going. A 10 on the generosity scale is generous on every occasion. And think about a kind of life you would lead if you were able to be, if you had the margin if you had the breathing room financially or with your possessions or your bills to, to be generous on every occasion. See, I, I, again, I don't know all of you, but I'm, I'm guessing that you've had moments in your life in which you've wanted to be generous, but you weren't. And maybe God had even spoken to you and you'd say, no, definitely it was God leading me to be generous, but I just, I wasn't. Maybe I had too many bills or there wasn't enough gas in my car. How could I possibly pay for the person behind me? Like you just go through these lists of reasons, but God's goal by enriching you is to give opportunity for you to be generous on every occasion. Look what else happens. And through us, your generosity, God will enrich you He'll help you to be generous on every occasion. And then through that generosity, other people will thank God. Your generosity will result. It'll equal, it'll, it'll ultimately accumulate in the fact that other people 
Well, give thanks to God for your incredible generosity, for your outrageous generosity. This is the kind of life Paul is describing that the Macedonians had figured out, but the Corinthians had not quite figured out. And if you really strip down the gospel to its very core element, if you had to sit across from me at a table and say, okay, John, I'm, I, I don't know how much time I have left to live. I wanna figure out the gospel, like what is it? I think you could boil it down to generosity. I think you could trim down the gospel enough to say, how would you describe the entire scripture story, which what this is us is? And it's gonna, over the next couple of weeks, point us to that. But if you had to boil it down to be generosity, and I think this is why, Paul understands and the Corinthians were learning to understand and Macedonians have figured out, to follow Jesus is to be generous. To follow Jesus is to be generous. They are one and the same. And often in our cultural view and in our perspective, and even when we talk about money, it's like, don't talk about that. Like, it's weird. Maybe even you don't talk about it with your own spouse, which you should probably start. Or, or if you have uh, people under your care, maybe you should think about that. But what I think is fascinating is that often generosity is separated from our relationship with God. And, and what Paul writes to the Corinthians is that you just can't do that, is that to follow Jesus is to be generous. This got to such a point where the Christians were really living this out that in fourth century Rome, Emperor Julian, who was inscribed on the coins, like he was the real deal. To be the emperor in Rome was essentially to be God. And Emperor Julian discovered a problem. As the Christians were growing and this movement of generosity, like I was just talking about, started to spread throughout the Roman Empire, Emperor Julian had a problem because all the philanthropy and compassion and caring for orphans and widows, the Christians were doing it better. See, the Romans hadn't really figured it out. They didn't really have a generous heart. I mean, they had the, the value of generosity, but a sick person can't serve you. A person who's poor can't necessarily reciprocate the amount of money you give to them. Like it just, it wasn't working. So he sent out a letter to a city official saying, hey guys, we're gonna develop a plan to outgive the Christians. Like we gotta figure out a way to, to, to whatever they're doing, we have to learn how to do it better so they don't overthrow our government, essentially is what he was saying. And I think this is interesting too, because they had the value of generosity, but it really didn't come from a place of spiritual transformation. It didn't come from a place of abundance. It came from a place of scarcity. I've got to give to you, but I'm going to need something back. Whereas abundance says, I'm going to give to you without reserve. I don't need anything back. I serve a God who has infinite resource. I don't need anything from you. That's the kind of generosity Paul is writing about. And I think that's interesting in our world too, because uh, some of you probably know this, but ch uh, the charitable giving and compassion giving in America alone, so let's, let's not even look at the entire world, but just in America has actually risen, which I think is a good thing. Like over the last couple of years, and you can blame it on taxes or more income or whatever you want, but it's raised slightly year over year. But the church seems to be going the opposite direction. The church in America is actually declining year after year. And many churches will meet today on their last Sunday. will close their doors and pack it up and do something else. Here's why I think that is. Charity does not shock the world anymore. It just doesn't. We're kind of expected to give, right? You have initiatives at your workplace. Maybe you just have that intrinsic desire that at the end of whatever your budget year is, that you're just going to give the extra away. Maybe it's here at the center or at a nonprofit or some kind of charity organization. Charity doesn't shock the world, friends, but generosity does. 
like real Christian generosity that just can't be explained, it shocks the world. It surprises them because it's not what anyone's looking for. When we gave over Christmas to Hope Unexpected, $1,100, it's like uh, charity would have been just give enough to meet the need. Uh, Generosity is what you did, is doubled the need. It's like gave above and beyond. That's the kind of of giving that the generous life ultimately that surprises the world, causes people to ask questions about, why are you that way? Why did you give to us? Like, this is weird. Why did you do that? Like, they ask questions. Charity doesn't shock the world, but generosity does. And when in verse 11, Paul writes that you will be enriched in every way, that's ultimately what he's talking about. Your enriching of your own life is going to lead to other people encountering the good and abundant life that Jesus has for them as well. It's an incredible cycle of generosity. So we're at the end of the series. And it's probably worth figuring out, like, how do we start to really turn the corner or figure this out in our own lives? You and I have a Monday, and it's coming tomorrow. Like, we have real lives, and after this hour's over, we'll celebrate. It's good, and hopefully it changes things about our Monday. That's the goal. But we have real life. And so what would we do if we decided to grow in generosity? I think it's really, really simple. And you may be like, you worked all week for this? Like, (laughs) yes, essentially I did. And I think it's this, that every one of us, if we wanna grow in generosity, has to take one step to grow in generosity. You have to take one step today. Maybe that's simplifying your possessions down so you can be generous. Maybe it's setting up online giving and starting to tithe. Maybe it's just figuring out, hey, we've got needs in our community. I'm gonna give to those or I'm gonna support those or hey, I know that the church is doing this and I wanna give, like whatever it is to take one step. And here's why I think that's so important. Uh, This past Thursday, and some of you know, and many of you have been interacting with or served with our hand-to-hand partnership. This year, we began sponsoring a school, Oriole Park Elementary School, just up the road in Wyoming. And there's 40 kids there who every weekend go home with no promise of food in the cupboard or in the refrigerator. As I think about that, it's almost unimaginable. Like I have too much food in the refrigerator and in the cupboard. I think that my problem is the opposite. And I think about kids who go home and uh, we know the studies from how difficult it is to learn and to make some, some real headway in your education when you're hungry and no promise of food when you get home. And so Hand to Hand has partnered with multiple schools in our area and we get to do that with Oreo Park. So some of people have served on Tuesdays with our packing team and some people serve from right here in our church on Thursdays delivering the 40 meals to Oreo Park. What I think is fascinating about that is that it's returning, not just generosity, like charity would be nice. It's like, here's the food, uh, we're done. Like that's, we're good. Like we've done our part. And that would be a still blessing. What happened on this past Thursday, I got to tag along. I don't get always to do this, but I, I tagged along on Thursday and helped deliver the bags and it was incredible. And you're walking through the halls and you're, you're praying for the students who you may never meet, but God is gonna impact their life through your generosity right here. And we were leaving and about ready to get into our cars and someone kind of piped up on the team. I was like, hey, we should figure out a way to like evangelize these students or share the gospel with them or something. And and I just kind of felt like a, a question pop up in my heart. I was like, what if we just went in today to the office and just ask uh, teachers or administrators, whoever's in the room, if we could pray for them. 
And it, I, I kind of thought like, this is weird. It's a public school. Like, what are they going to say? Or like, of course, it's a pastor. He, he would pray for us. Like that was the default. And so anyway, so I think we should do this. So we walked back in to school and I just kind of chimed in. And I said, hey, like, is there anything we can pray for you guys for? And many teachers at the end of a school day are exhausted, rightfully so. It's like, nope, I'm good. I'm going to go home and pray in my car on the way to take my shoes off and lay on my couch. Like that's kind of the goal. But someone walked out of an office and I'd never met her before. She walked out and introduced herself as the principal of Oriole Park. And she said, you can pray for me. She said, like, snow days are great for kids, but for teachers, it's kind of a nightmare. <laughs> like, we still have test scores and, and results and, and state's expectations of what will get done in a school year. And so there's some real pressure on me right now as a principal and as our teachers to, to get this done, to make it happen before June hits. And she had tears in her eyes as she's sharing this with me. I said, man, we'd love to pray for you. And so we got to put our hands on her and pray for her right there in the school office and just ask God, bless her. And we commission her. We send her as a vessel of your grace and goodness in this school. And it was incredible. And it wasn't generosity for generosity's sake. And it wasn't just prayer for prayer's sake. They were together. You as a church have been generous and set up a spiritual opportunity for someone else to experience it. And that's what I'm talking about. Just taking one step. Prayer is not hard. Giving money is not necessarily hard for us. Like figure out what's in the comfort zone and go one step beyond that. Take one step to grow in generosity. At the end of the series, I wanna give you three really, really practical things you could do starting tomorrow. If you're a note taker or just wanna process this more fully throughout the week, I'm gonna give them to you rapid fire. And so you gotta write them down. The first one is this, put God first with money and your stuff. Put God first with money and your stuff. For that, for you personally, it may be just starting to give and you start giving 1%. Maybe for you, it's tithing and you start giving 10%. You say, God, man, 2019, I'm gonna believe and I'm gonna put my faith behind the fact that you can do more with 90% of my income than I can do with 100. I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tithe on that 100%. Or for you, it may just be, I've got a lot of stuff and I know a lot of other people need some stuff and I'm gonna give them my stuff. Or some of you may have a coworker or a friend who you know their, their car is on its last leg and they've constantly had problems with it and you have a good car that works, give them the car. Like put God first in some way, do something that stretches you and, and causes you to think differently about generosity. That's number one. The second is to get into a group, get into a group. Here's why I say this, not just because we have like some quota we wanna fill, but because community and accountability are what we all need to grow in Christ. And that's not just generosity, that's just life period. And there's two different groups you can become a part of today. You can walk out of these doors, put your name and email down. We won't harass you, but we're just gonna give you a next step to get into a group in the next couple of weeks. The first group you can join is a community group. Now community group is kind of what you think of if you've been around church as a traditional small group, like mixed gender, you can do whatever, like it's uh, different backgrounds, different economic classes, like there's no specific things. You can come and grow and, and meet some friends and build relationships and go deeper in the scriptures than you can on a Sunday. That's a community group. I'm really excited though to, to kind of talk about and start to launch these things called discipleship groups. Now, discipleship is a really fancy word for following Jesus. 
in your everyday, like your habits and your life and your patterns being transformed. That's what discipleship really means. And a discipleship group is a group of three to five people, same gender who meet at the same time every week, and they go deep in the scriptures. They journal, they reflect, they pray for lost people together. They just take some deeper steps that you can't do in a group of 10 to 15 people. And they go deep and they're vulnerable and honest and really some of the most deep transformation happens in a community group and in a discipleship group. And maybe you need to join both. Like, I don't know what your schedule or your commitment level is like, but maybe you need to walk out of here and get in a group. And the third step is this, do something outrageously generous. Do something outrageously generous. Remember, to follow Jesus is to be generous, to follow him is to be generous, but charity doesn't shock the world anymore. Generosity does. True, radical, outrageous generosity surprises our world. So do something outrageously generous. That's why Paul writes about this small, no-name, backwoods, dirt-poor church in Macedonia. In 2 Corinthians 8, here's what he writes. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know. He's writing to the Corinthian church saying, you guys gotta, this is a case study on generosity. We want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That's the kind of life I wanna live. That's the kind of life I know God wants for our church and for you personally and your family to experience, a life that despite economic situations, that you know what it means to be generous on every occasion. And friends, this is not just a, a nice message and maybe you go home and think about your finances for a minute and then lunch is on and you're like, forget about it. I think that if we really miss this, that you and I will live out of a scarcity mindset possibly for the rest of our lives. A life that is driven by fear and spiritually hoarding and financially tight gripped on our things and our stuff and not willing to be generous on every occasion, which is going to lead to unhappiness and, and fear about the future and anxiety and worry and stress about things you don't even need. You won't be able to find more and less. But if you choose to live out one of these steps or just to take one step to grow in generosity every day, to move a little farther up on that scale with the Holy Spirit's help, you're gonna experience the life of abundance, a life that's overflowing, a life that knows the real and rich and, and overwhelming generosity of God back to you. It's gonna lead to other people experiencing generosity. It's gonna lead to a different life for you. Ultimately, as you stare at this big black tank of water, Baptism is a response to the generosity of God. Because God, while we were yet sinners, as we talked about, Romans 5, while we were helpless, Christ died for us. He poured himself out. He, the, most, the most radical demonstration of generosity the world has ever seen is Jesus on the cross, forgiving enemies, laying his life down for you and I with no promise, hear me, no promise that you would reciprocate that love. No promise. And yet he poured it out anyway. He gave himself for us. And so as you think about baptism, you may be like, yeah, yeah, baptism's great for like new Christians. It's like, no, uh, Jesus is really, really clear that if you follow Jesus in the room today and you've never been baptized, today's your day. It's your next step. There's no other step you need to take besides this one. You'd be like, yeah, but I came in like my best shirt. It's like, okay, we'll figure that out. Like, we'll give you a shirt. Like, don't let those little obstacles stop you from making significant spiritual milestones right here and right now. Just don't think about that. 
And if you have followed Jesus for a week and you're like, uh, is it mine? I've got a lot of questions. I'm, I remember one of the first people I baptized was halfway into the water. And he's like, I've got a lot of questions. Like comes back up. Like, I'm like, you're good. We all have questions. I followed Jesus for a decade. I have questions every single day. Like the questions are not the barrier. Your doubt is not the barrier, but your one act of faith and and response to God's generosity just might be baptism today. And so I wanna pray for you. And I'm gonna invite the band to come up as we do. And we're just gonna create some space. Uh, And if we practice spontaneous baptism here. So if you're like, I didn't come prepared. What do I do? Am I gonna be freezing cold? Sure, like what? I don't know. Like there's so many different things you could let stop you, but today might be your day and this step might be yours. You don't need to be a member of this church. You don't have to sign a certificate. You don't have to sit down for two hours with me and go through a class. We can do that and those are good things, but they are not the prerequisite to taking a step of obedience and following Jesus right here, right now. So let me pray for you as we wrap up this time and prepare to worship. God, I thank you that in your presence, there's fullness of joy, there's freedom, there's liberty, there's opportunity, there's potential. And that no matter where we've come from, no matter what we've done, no matter what we were doing last night, you poured yourself out for us. You were radically generous to us. And that changes things. So God, I pray right now for the person who is wrestling with, how do I grow in generosity? How do I become generous on every occasion? How do I live a life that's taking those steps? God, I pray for them. You just give them the reassurance and the clarity that that knowing and following you can bring. I pray you fill their hearts with your love. I pray that your Holy Spirit, your breath would fill them as we sang earlier, that they would just be aware every single day of how good and generous you've been to them. And that would lead to an overflowing response of generosity to those around them. God, I pray for the person today who is just asking questions and hasn't fully surrendered their life to you and is not sure what they think of Jesus and what they think of the good news and what they think of what we're doing right here, right now. God, I pray that you just speak to them clear today. That you'd show up in their life. That the things that they've been asking and desiring and praying for would be answered. Finally, God, I just lift up the person today, intercede. I step in the gap for the person today who knows that that baptism is their next step. God, I pray you give them crazy courage and a very deep and clear sense of your goodness to them and your rescue in their life. We pray it all in the strong and the matchless name of Jesus.